Welcome to the second episode of Smaller Narratives for a Larger World. This is a podcast project sponsored by the Departments of Comparative Literature and Anthropology at Binghamton University. This is Adam Palacios, one of the free hosts of the podcast show. In this episode, I'm going to be in conversation with a guest from Argentina who is visiting the US, but now was visiting the US, but now she's back in Buenos Aires. Uh, in her hometown. Um, her name is uh, Monica Surmok. Monica is a senior researcher at the National Scientific and Technical Research Council of Argentina and a professor at the Universidad Nacional de San Martín. She's the author of Women in Argentina, Early Travel Narratives, and La Vocación Desmesurada, Una Biografía de Alberto Gertrudoff. She has co-edited Mujeres en Viaje, Una Memoria y Ciudadanía, Diccionario de Estudios Culturales Latinoamericanos, Sitios de la Memoria, México Post-68, The Cambridge History of Latin American Women's Literature, Entre Mundos y Lenguas, Las Cartas de un Maestro de la Alianza Israelite Universal, and the forthcoming Latin American Literature in Transition, 1980-2017. She's the editor of the series Latin American Literature in Transition for Cambridge University Press. Her current projects include the Cambridge History of Argentinian Literature, an edition of the complete works of Alberto Gertunov, and a monograph on urban life and intimacy in Buenos Aires. Thank you, Monica. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Um, so, uh, we are going to discuss uh, three of Monica's uh, project. We will start discussing um, the theme of biographical writing uh, through her experience. So uh, Monica, you decided to write a biography on the life and work of an Argentine public intellectual, Alberto Verdunov, uh, published in the year 2018. Following one important reason you mentioned for writing it, the genre of biography, it seems to me was used as a kind of counter hegemonic tool, because as you said, your aim was to relocate the figure that was displaced from the current field of world literature in which he was once regarded as central. So how do you think the biography uh, manages to contest such a displacement by relocating, uh, in this case, the figure of Kurtunov. I find it interesting that biography is a discourse practice used to challenge, in a sense, the sometimes controversial and broad notion of world literature. Um, let me first start by probably telling you a little bit of the story of, of how the biography came to be. I was teaching at the University of Oregon. I was leaving the University of Oregon. I had already resigned my position. And a colleague who is an expert in French literature and I have been planning all along, um, we have been thinking about teaching a seminar together for a very long time. So as a farewell gift, she was a department chair at that time, um, we taught this seminar and it was taught as a seminar in comparative literature cross-listed with Romance languages. And um, in the seminar, 
we work mainly with the idea of um, we work through Derrida and Levinas on ideas of alterity in um, Mediterranean Europe, in France, Italy, and, um, and Spain, mainly in France and also in Argentina. And what we, we work, we started with the Dreyfus case and we needed a text to talk about the Jewish presence in Argentina. So. Um, in order to do that, we decided to use um, this book, which had good, um, the book by Alberto Gorchunov, which is called The Jewish Gauchos, and which has really good um, translations into English. Um, so that was one of the initial books uh, the students read. And one of the characteristics of that seminar was that we had a lot of students from all over, and it's especially because we were doing a lot of Francophone work. We had students from Sub-Saharan Africa. And the students who were closer to this book, the students who were in Latin American literature didn't find this book very challenging. But the, the, the students who were working on Francophone African literatures, the students who were working on Irish literatures, um, the students who, who were working in general on post-coloniality were intrigued by the book. One of the things that happened was that the book talks about agri an agricultural society. So, um, so I found that um, this book could be enjoyed and could be engaged with from, um, from a distance, which is really what, um, world literature in general does, you know, it's text that can be read beyond the time and the place where they were produced. So that got me thinking about what I could say about this writer and how I could write more about this writer. But I found really soon that there was very little I could do in terms of what I thought as traditional, um, Critical, critical analysis of the book. I, I worked with his with this book with a couple of other books of his, but there was something about the breadth of his production that couldn't be accounted for in traditional um, critical analysis and what we generally call, um, you know, the, what literary critics do. So I thought that. I could find another genre that would give me the possibility of asking the questions that I was interested in answering. And, and, and one of the main questions is how someone who had arrived in Argentina very young uh, with uh, completely uh, monolingual in Yiddish, he didn't speak Spanish, and how he had become a really lead figure in Latin America and how he thought of himself as a member of world literature, how the types of books he read, the type of books he wrote about, um, the place he himself considered he had in the world uh, went beyond the borders of Argentina, but yet he wanted to participate in a very traditional sense of the Argentinian canon. And I found that a biography gave me the possibility of talking about these issues much more uh, in a way that I couldn't actually do 
in, um, in an analytic monograph. Yes, um, thank uh, absolutely. The, um, I think that's, um, that is related to uh, my next question, which is about specifically uh, the possibility that the genre of biography uh, gave you uh, to answer these questions uh, that you have for um, Bertrand's uh, history in the, in the history of Latin American literature and world literature. Um, considering that he was uh, right, a, fi uh, a figure international in a way because he comes from a different country with a different language and then and a different geography and all that cultural background and then reinserts himself in Argentina and, and you know, and in a way bringing those cultures and, and knowledges and experiences together. Um, so as, can we think of um, um, maybe some challenges that academic writing um, might have posed also in, uh, at the time for you? to also help you make this decision uh, to choose um, the biography over regular traditional acad academic writing, if, or if you have had maybe a um, similar experience before uh, with academic writing. I think it's very interesting because also uh, when I was writing the biography, I think one of the reasons also I could write a biography was because there were enough people writing biographies. Um, I, I was a member, um, I was actually invited um, to talk and, and to correspond and to be a part of a network of people writing biographies in um, Latin America, which came a little bit, um, the, the tradition of biography in Latin America is slightly different from the one in the US. And, and in general, in the Anglophone world, the US, the Anglophone world have a, a very strong tradition in, in biographical writing, very often carried out by academics. So, um, so when I started thinking about um, writing this, this biography, I was very lucky to find scholars in Argentina who were writing biographies. Um, there was already a collection of writing biographers, uh, biographies in Argentina. I also found other people in Latin America who are writing biographies. And, and I came into contact with um, the Biographers International Association and found that it's a different way of thinking about academic writing. Because I think that what I tried to do was write with a kind of precision and backed by the kind of research that we use in academic writing. But um, the questions are different. And also there's a larger engagement with, uh, with the reading public. So you look for a different type of interaction and interlocution when you write from the perspective of, bio of a biographer, you know, and some of the most, you know, I'm thinking about the biography of Frederick Douglass, for example, or the biography of Jacques Derrida, there's some of the um, 
most relevant books, I, I think, in, in terms of the, the biography of Frederick Douglass, for sure, these are books which have been written with a lot of historical research behind, but their intervention, uh, and they've been written by academics, but their intervention clearly has to do with a genre which is more available. You know, I, I think that there's some of the questions that we as literary critics ask ourselves that become very, um, very self-reflective and self-indulgent and there isn't enough of a discussion with um, more beyond the, beyond academia. Yes, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I was thinking about the availability as you mentioned, right? It's, it's something important. I, we could say that the biography, the genre biography offers, um, it offers accessibility to a larger audience. Um, um, and um, would you, um, what would you say about maybe the results, um, you know, the, uh, of, of this after publishing um, the biography? Did, do you think that it sort of reached uh, the, the goals that you had set before? writing the, the text? I think so. I, I think that especially, definitely in Argentina, but also in Latin America, it was very widely read. And, and I think that, um, I think that in that sense, it, it reached um, the, the public I was hoping to get. I think that um, I, I thought that it would be easier um, to find interested people in um, interested trans uh, presses interested in translating it, it to English. That hasn't happened, which is something which is interesting to me, you know, it, in, in a very personal and um, maybe even selfish perspective, it, it's disappointing, but it's also interesting, for example, the the collection Jewish Lives that uh, Yale University Press publishes, I don't think they have even one, um, one of their books and uh, by, by now they have published a few dozen and I don't think they have even one on someone from Latin America. And most of them clearly are from either the US or Israel. And, you know, with some very, uh, I don't know, significant figures like, of course, um, Char uh, Marx or um, Sarah Bernhard. And, uh, but, but I think it's interesting because the way the, the field of Judaic studies is built, there's a, such a preeminence um, of the, the way it's thought of in the United States. Um, the United States figures so centrally in the field. Um, which is also, I think, historically inaccurate. You know, Sandra Gilman makes arguments about this, that the post-Holocaust field of Jewish literature has become so dominated by the United States that that also ends up providing very inaccurate readings of um, a lot of what happens because some of the patterns of Jewish life and Jewish participation draw from the US experience rather than from other experiences. But anyway, but um, it, 
but I, I was, um, I, I thought that would, um, it would be more interesting, but, um, but you know, the jurist allowed and, uh, and, and maybe it's my own, um, you know, it's something that I need to do more work on it and not, but, um, but I think that the, the relevance clearly in Argentina and in the Spanish speaking world within Latin America has been very, very important. So, so that's very good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so um, now centering uh, on his uh, particular experience, right? Um, what would you say? Uh, um, what would you say that plays a role um, when in the field of literature, an author that was part of the literary tradition of, of a country like Gertrunov um, first gets recognition and then and then there is this change, this this loss of interest uh, of attention uh, for for his work. Uh, as you mentioned, right, um, in the biography, uh, Gertrunov's friends and interlocutors were people like Borges. Um, uh, who also uh, got recognition beyond the borders of the national literature and became part of the world literature. Um, and they never lost their, their, their place. Um, while in a way, Gertrude of Dance lose his, yet all of them were equally, more or less equally internationally praised at, uh, for their contributions in their lifetime. I think that, first of all, I think that Borges, of course, is a rara avis. He's an amazing writer. He's a, um, he's a spectacular writer. And he's a writer that, um, can, you know, he's clearly part of world literature and he's read differently when he's read outside of Argentina and within Argentina. I think that at some point, um, Gertrunov and, you know, I wouldn't, there to say that the kind of literary production of Gertrunov has in any way um, the same type of stature as Borges is. I, I think that clearly the, the type of literature he produces um, is in a different um, realm and, and he was also um, producing also, um, I don't know, um, I, th I think that um, he he's um, older than Borges, and, and and at the point when they're both at the at a similar level, he's really uh, sponsoring and encouraging Borges, who's a much younger writer. But clearly, the recognition that Borges gets internationally is well deserved. So you know, I wouldn't want to. Um, challenge that idea, but, and, and I think um, that what happened to Gertrunov is something that happens in general in, in literature, which is that, um, you know, what Franco Moretti calls a slaughterhouse of literature. So there's very few literary works really make it into the canon are not remembered. And in specifically in the case of Gertrunov, I think that he was in a way, 
um, a victim of his own success because I think that he made it so early. This book, The Jewish Gauchos, was published when he was in his 20s. It became an immediate bestseller. And, and I think that he was also associated with that book so heavily that most of his work afterwards was not read. But I think that what becomes very interesting for academics is that uh, very often, I don't know, if you wanted to write about that period, um, which is what I wanted to do, uh, someone like Borges is probably not someone that will lead you into a cultural history because he is himself such a rara avis that he will, uh, if you want to write about Borges, you, you need to write about Borges, whereas Gertrunov, what he does is he lets you into this world, which is the cultural world of uh, Latin America in the first half of the 20th century, but also the Jewish world in the first half of the of, of 20th century. And, and he leads you into politics, into issues of culture, um, into issues of the press. So I, I think that that's what, um, and, and in that sense, some, some of the people I had in mind were writers like Peter Gay or Beatriz Sarlo, who do such wonderful cultural reconstructions very often through a figure um, who let, lets you go into the midst of things, but, but in a way effaces himself or herself. And I think that that's also what's very relevant and brilliant sometimes about um, studies that focus on, on women in that sense. And I'm thinking about the works of people like Natalie Zeman Davis, that um, women also give you this, this access to the world but then it's a world which is not constructed around them. They're sort of part, but they come in and out. Yeah, I get that. I like that um, explanation uh, uh, in terms of, you know, what Borges literature, you know, uh, the way it's usually read and, and what it produces in, in the audience and, and these other types of uh, authors. Um, do you think that maybe um, to sort of, uh, close on um, Gertrunov that um, that because of his you know death then also his political activities ceased um, that that might have also been a factor for you know his um, disappearance let's say in in the in the field of literature um, as maybe as he was such a politically engaged person. Uh, that also right, um, might have contributed to him being read? I think it's probably, um, I think that's probably true. Um, um, I, th I think that um, he has a presence in the institutions he was part of among them, the newspaper La Nación of Buenos Aires. Um, I think that in terms of um, his political activities in Argentina, historians have worked on that. And um, in terms of his contribution to the denunciation of the Holocaust, I think that that probably requires more work. Um, 
So, so I think that in the, that scenario where um, there would be a chance of intervening more and looking more at what happened um, at an international level and specifically in Latin America regarding uh, the Holocaust. I would like to talk about um, something uh, about the experience of writing uh, a biography, right? Where the biography sort of uh, merges with the life of the biographer, right? In this case. Yeah. yeah. What would you say about elements um, that are present in the text, uh, such as uh, personal anecdotes, uh, which were part of the process of writing the biography, make your own writing uh, an example of uh, embodied writing that it, um, it does not eclipse uh, uh, and, and yet manages to bring back to the surface the, the writing of a displaced figure. Um, can you comment on that? Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a very good question. And, and, you know, there's some biographers who don't do this, who establish a distance. And, and I really like, when I read biographies, I really like um, the intervention of the biographer. And, and I think also biographers have to contend with a key issue, which is that there is information which will be completely closed. Um, that there's information you will have no access to. And then there's information that is going to be difficult because um, it's very difficult to, when you're writing a biography, to forget everything you know and also know what the other person knew and you don't. So one of the key issues for me um, was I had to forget that the Holocaust happened. You know, when he's living in the third, because I, I see that this is one of the things, for example, that was really key, which was that um, if I was to write the whole book thinking about the Holocaust, it would be horrible because it was, it would be, and, and I, and, and that's one of them. You know, I'm not the first person to be aware of this. That there is a sense that if you write thinking about uh, where all this leads, it, you make a big mistake because you know, of course, uh, they didn't know what would happen. And and then on the other hand, there's a whole world that he knew um, that I was intrigued by, but I had no way of. of knowing, which was, you know, mainly the world of Eastern Europe in the late 19th century. And, you know, and I went to his town in the Ukraine and, but so, so what I could do is I could show in the book that I was thinking the, about these issues and then, you know, that I went to, you know, what, what happened when I was in the, in his town in, in Tulching, in the town where he was a little boy in, in the Ukraine. But, you know, beyond that, there's very little you can do. So I think that there's a way in which you can alert the reader about your own process. And then something else, which is something that I'm very impressed by women writers who do this, and um, which is that 
um, you do a lot of research, but then there are elements that you need to imagine and you need to create. And I have, I'll give you two examples of writers. One I had in mind when I was writing and the other one just published a book. So uh, that's post my, so one of them is the writer Tununa Mercado and um, who's an Argentinian writer. And um, she writes, she wrote a lot. She was a political exile in Mexico in the 70s. And, and she wrote a lot about her own experience. She does a lot of autobiographical writing on her own experience. But then uh, her latest novel, which is called Yo Nunca Te Prometí La Eternidad, uh, which won the very prestigious Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz prize um, that is granted by the International Book Fair in Guadalajara. And in it, she writes about a family of um, exiles of um, Jewish, it's a family where um, the mother is a Jewish German woman who um, is in Paris when the Germans come in and they end up in Mexico. Her husband is not Jewish. They come into Mexico as uh, members of the Communist Party. Um, they're offered political refuge in Mexico. And so what she says, and Tununa Mercado says this, she says, whenever she thinks, she, she writes in the novel about the experience of this woman and her, and her child and, and what this woman felt in Mexico, she says, I had no way of knowing, but I really, and she uses the word calcar, which is trace in English. Um, so she says that she was tracing, and I'm thinking about, uh, Freud's um, magic, La Pizarra Magica, uh, you know, so she's thinking about this process where she superimposes her personal experience of being an Argentinian exile in Mexico on this woman who's a German exile um, in Mexico. So, and, but she makes us readers aware of this, you know, she, she did, she sort of, um, calls on us to do this. And then um, very recently, Cristina Rivera Garza published very recently a book called, a novel called Autobiografía del Algodón, um, which um, deals with the border between the US and Mexico. And um, Cristina is writing a history of three generations of her family, um, her grandparents who were cotton pickers in the, in the north of, of Mexico. And, and, and she starts, her starting point is actually um, a strike of cotton pickers that happened in the 1930s. And there's no, until she wrote about it, there was only a reference in a novel by Revueltas. So she picks up a novel written in the 30s and does the historical research and she did find the documents, but then, so, so it's a novel which uh, writes some very, very strong historical research on, uh, on water in the, in the border, on um, the Mexican workers who built the avenues in Houston where Cristina Rivera Garza now lives and directs the, 
a PhD program in creating writing, but the internal, the relationships, you know, all that she models on, uh, that's where her, her work as a writer comes in because there's, there are no documents for that. You know, she finds a lot of documents and she lets a reader knows what comes from the documents. But then there's a whole area where her skill as a novelist comes in to fill in for all these elements. So, so I think, and I wanted my biography to have these elements, but I also wanted the reader to know when I was doing this, when my, you know, when I had no documents, but I wanted to fill in. And, and or for example, you know, what, what happens, um, I don't know, one of the images that I have is what happens with this little boy as a ship comes closer to Buenos Aires? What happens when someone um, looks at uh, the city for the first time from a boat? So, so that's where all these elements come in. Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's uh, fascinating. Um, and, and, and I remember you, um, said something about um, being on, on on the subway, I think, uh, and yeah. reflecting, taking down notes, uh, which also speaks of of the process of uh, of, of, a, of a worker working person, right? You know, yeah. using all the time that you have, and and you know, and 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 also like uh, sort of. Um, following your, your, your ideas, your, your inspiration when it comes, right? Yeah, and I think, I, I think specifically, you know, I, I remember that because um, when I was in the subway reading, for example, um, I think that the, the part that I include in the book is I was reading um, Zola on the subway in Ogonef the Farm, and I think that it kept coming back because the, uh, um, what I found um, Gertrunov grandchildren telling me, but also what I found um, some writers, some of his colleagues who wrote about him, they, they mentioned this, the fact that he could go from one part of the other, the city to the other, and how he would always be reading. So I, it, it was an, something that I couldn't escape, you know, this, this relationship. But, but I appreciate to the, what you were saying about um, using up all the time you have. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I really like that, um, that, that you mentioned that. Now, um, I would like to talk about your, um, another project that you have been working on, which is uh, Latin American Literatures in Transition. Uh, through this project, you are attempting to share the history of Latin American literatures, um, introducing various shifts. And I would like to hear more about this revision, this recasting of the view of Latin American literature that you're proposing. Um, this seems to be an open-ended collection of perspective that doesn't, does not try to define, but rather expand its reach uh, from Patagonia to Alaska, and also um, authors in Europe. So, how does this notion of this this revision of Latin American literature is um, challenged? Sorry, how does the notion of Latin American literature is in a way challenged by this 
shifts by this inclusion and atten new attention paid to all these other literatures, which, which are not necessarily written in Spanish only. Um, this collection um, is part of a new um, series that Cambridge University Press is publishing, which is uh, Literatures in Transition. And so the idea of transition was an idea that is proposed by the press. So the press wants to look at um, different literatures. And so one of the things that I had to um, think about was what did it mean uh, to think about Latin American literature in transition? Because one of the things that happened to me immediately is that I thought that in a way it's obvious that um, Latin American literature is always in transition. I, I wonder if maybe all the literatures are always in transition, but, but I think that um, in the case of Latin American literature, the constitution of the field is always in transition. And, um, and, and what I wanted to do was to think about how um, Latin American literature as a field got, um, was imagined, was constructed, was thought of, and on the other hand, what the texts were. But I, I think that it, there's a, I think there's a very profound um, link between politics, literature, and, um, and different socio-geographical movements. Uh, there's a big geographical input in terms of what we think about as Latin American literature, where this idea of Latin American literature gets imagined, gets set up, where it is taught. So, so my idea mainly was that um, in order to think about Latin American literature and transition, we had to revise uh, not only the, the canon of primary text, but also the canon of critical texts. And the canon of critical text is a canon which is also very intimately linked to the canon of um, the political canon to uh, regimes in power. Um, and, and I wanted also, you know, to, um, to look at the, at the way in which um, the, the breadth of what we consider Latin American literature um, is thought of what's the map of Latin American literature? What are the languages of Latin American literature? Where does Latin American literature signify? So one of the main issues was that um, Latin American literature was not literature written in Spanish and Portuguese. It was not literature written in, you know, from the Rio Grande, Rio Bravo to Patagonia. It was something which was much more flexible, much more fluid. And, and so, and basically for me, and, and I think this is beyond every single project I'm involved in, it includes uh, Latinos and Latinas in the, in the United States. And, and whatever that means and whatever it means in different geographical and political moments, um, it includes 
literature writing in written in many different languages and in indigenous languages and also in the languages of migration. And, um, and so I wanted every single volume and there are five volumes in the collection to include this, you know, to, um, to be aware of the presence of Latinx literatures, to be aware of the different languages, to be aware of writing by women, um, to be aware of the different genres and, um, and also to take advantage of the work of scholars working all over the world, you know, that's sort of a little bit, um, you know, that's sort of an illusion. It never happens, but, but we have in the collection scholars working in most of the countries in Latin America, in the US, in Canada, um, in Europe, and, um, and also um, scholars from different generations, because some of the most interesting work which is being done right now, especially for example, in areas such as uh, indigenous languages is carried out by, by younger scholars. Um, so, so I think that that was the breadth of the project was a project that was inclusive in many senses. So we were thinking about gender, we were thinking about dissident sexualities, but we were thinking also about subaltern languages. Yes, um, exactly. I think those are, as you were, I think we have um, talked about before uh, some of the shifts, right? Thinking beyond the the most dominant language, the most spoken languages in, in Latin America, which are Spanish and Portuguese, and also going across, you know, borders, right? Uh, beyond what, what is considered the Latin American continent. Um, and I have always found very interesting um, this um, the, the the what can be called Latinx literatures, right? Uh, people who, for different historical reasons, um, are in the U.S. or in Canada, and and but have uh, they um, and make the effort to sort to reconnect to to go back to to their histories, right? To their own mm -hmm. sort of biography um, when they write, um, and and I think it seems that they tend to inhabit this um, identity uh, problematically and, 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 and maybe the writing that they do or, and even the, the critical writing, not just literary writing, um, sort of reflects that, right? Yeah. And also I think the different genres. So one of the things, I don't know, we include, for example, among the um, colonial writers, if you want to include the experience of women, you have to include um, different types of, you know, medical writings. You have to include um, images. And, and also, you know, in the last volume, in the contemporary volume, we include um, feminist rappers in, in the United States, in Guatemala and in the Southern Cone. So, so I think there's something about the genres. You know, if you privilege language, if you privilege genre, if you privilege certain institutions, you're always going to leave out um, the, a lot of experiences which are not going to be talked about. Now, I would like to um, talk about 
you another project your actually your current project which uh you have called a cartography of intimacy this project addresses a marginalized area of La of argentina specifically uh called lomas de zamora uh it addresses it in terms of intimate spaces people build inhabit when they are forced to live uh as cast out of society you're paying attention to their creative possibilities to inhabit such a marginalized area beyond the understandings of institutions that may perceive them through a lens that reduces them to criminality and impoverishment in living conditions. Would you like to um, take us through, through uh, some examples uh, that you have dwelled on for, for a while uh, while thinking on this project? I think, um, you know, I was listening to you and it's really interesting because first of all, this is an area in the suburbs of Buenos Aires, 700,000 people live there. And it's also, it's an area with marginal um, parts, but it's also an area with um, beautiful uh, developments. It's It started off as a, um, in the 19th century, one of the first um, developments was a Scottish colony in the early 19th century. It has beautiful um, garden, English garden communities. And um, what I, what's striking to me and what I would like to talk about is, um, first of all, this area has received no academic attention, very little academic attention. The academic attention it has received is focused, and as you mentioned, on two or three areas, which are criminality, drug trafficking, and also electoral politics. So uh, scholars have written about those areas. And then on, on the other hand, um, you have this area, which is not small, where a lot of people live, and which could be thought of in a way as a microcosm of something much larger. And, and, and I'm struggling to find out what the much larger means. So, um, because I think that um, what I'm trying to think about is how um, intimacy is constructed. So this is an area that has very, very large um, immigration, uh, immigrant communities. Um, even right now, it has, you know, if you think about, um, it has an, two Jewish cemeteries, uh, Ashkenazi cemetery and a Sephardic cemetery. It has an, an British cemetery. It has all these different Catholic cemeteries, French, Italian. It has lots of clubs. It has um, a Greek Orthodox church, a, um, a Russian Orthodox church. It has all the experience of all these communities that settled there and also the experience of a large internal migrant community that um, settles there. And so what I'm trying to look at is how uh, this complex place gets, um, gets built, um, how um, you can think about an area where you have all these interactions and, um, and how you can have extreme marginality, but also um, extreme 
I don't know if extreme, but also very wealthy regions. And I, I think probably that's one of the characteristics that I'm interested in, but I'm also very interested in, um, in these different levels of urban life. You know, I'm thinking about um, the work that Bruno Carvalho did on, on Rio de Janeiro. So I, I'm, I'm interested in how uh, an urban location it's, is a palimpsest that records different experiences. And, um, and I'm interested specifically in intimacy because I think that what intimacy gives me is an access to certain experiences. One is the experience of childhood. And, um, and one of the focus, uh, I, I'd like to focus on the experience of the appropriation of children during the dictatorship. But then the other one is the experience of um, the, the cultural experience of world literature are thought of in everyday interactions. So I'm thinking about how in this area, um, what would what it mean to look at British culture or uh, Japanese gardening practices, but instead of looking at them in the center, look at them in the periphery. So I'm very interested in, in these spaces, which are sort of laboratories of um, cohabitation and, you know, it, there's a sort of a very hopeful experience, which is the experience of all these different communities sharing a very small place, but also the, the experience of implications. What, what happens when um, this area also houses a concentration camp? Um, so, so that's what I'm grappling with. Um. Yes, I, I think um, those, you mentioned some of the uh, um, themes that uh, I, I thought were very interesting and intriguing. It's not that you just um, are thinking of this area spatially, but also in terms of time and historical time, right? You, when you think of intimacy and, and the experience of childhood, you you go back in time to think of a very uh, complex period, right? The children uh, of the disappeared during the 76 who lived and grew up in this area. And I think that would be very interesting to to hear after you you, you publish your work, how they, <laughs> they, yeah. how they negotiate their identity in, 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 in also in a very complex area in, in, in an area that it seems to constantly be in uh, is is an intersection, as you said, of of politics and uh, you know, and and with that that is only like sort of used and 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 imagine from from the outside for for just for other purposes. Uh, but you're you're thinking of you know like from within, I think, yeah. think about the people and and your sort of like um, people in it, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, people in Lomas de Zamora, which is not to criminalize it or, or things that are done to the to the people that live in this place. Um, um, something um, I was trying to, to read uh, something you said about um, world literature, which is another of your interests. You said that you focus on world literature as a form of experience, right? Read through the producers and consumers of literatures as embodied localized presences. 
that you treat literature's syllabi in public and private schools in the area to examine patterns of reading and distribution of works in Spanish translation and in the original languages. Um, I wonder about um, if, if you have more thoughts on, 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 again, going back to world literature and which is more or less where we started our conversation about this reading experiences of, of, well, we have very different types of people here, right? We have immigrants as well. Um, and people who I think also feel displaced in, 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 the, in the traditional con sort of more conservative um, social life of Argentina. Um, what do you think this brings to, or, or, or is it able to bring to those living in here? Um, uh, in terms of uh, perhaps the way they relate to each other and to the place uh, that they are now and the places that they are migrated from. Uh, can we maybe think of, you know, these sorts of movements and this uh, relationality? I, I think that, um, I, I think that what, what is very productive is to think um, about I have a, a pet peeve against the way that sometimes world literature is conceived of as literature and translation. And so one of the things that I'm interested in is how an area that we can think about, an area which is not central, which, which is not related to the elites, to the latter elites, is an area where um, literatures in all these different languages are read in the original languages every day. And also the experience and, and one of the starting points of this project um, is an encounter between Borges and Pilia in this area. And uh, Pilia was a three-year-old child and he's reading a book, he's making believe that he's reading a book. And Borges who just got off the, the train uh, turns it around because it's on the, the wrong side. And, and anyway, and I think that the experience, if we think about Borges and Priglia, what they uh, attest to is the experience of um, world literature as an everyday um, lived experience, lived transition through all these different literatures that in different languages that end up making part, forming part of your everyday life. Um, and, and that's what I think a project like this can contribute to the uh, bibliography and work literature. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much, Monica, uh, for joining us at Smaller Narratives for a Larger World. Uh, we wish you good luck in your research and in your next visit to the US. And we look forward to hearing more from you and your work. Thank you very much for the wonderful questions. And thank you all for listening to our podcast. Uh, that was our conversation with Monica Surmuk. To learn more, please visit orb.binghamton.edu. This is the open repository at Binghamton where our podcasts are archived.